Hooray, hurrah. Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proofcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Porpoise of Fruititude, located right here in Lower California. Happy birthday, Herbie Hancock. Uh, this is one from 84 Yay. called Rocket. That was a giant, giant MTV hit for him in the middle of a long and illustrious career. My name's Greg. What's your name, lady? Hi, I'm Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. It's good to see you again. Uh, Herbie Hancock is so monumental. And this is a not an anomaly. It's just another progression in his long-ass career. I mean, jazz, uh, 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 classical, uh, uh, collaborations with Chick Corea, collaborations with Miles Davis, collaborations with Ron Carter. Endless. Endless. It's too long to I go mean, in. We, we spoke about, uh, before, the last time we saw Ron Carter, we were so excited that Herbie Hancock was at the next table. Oh, yes, we were. <laughs> we pretended to get a picture with him. That's how excited we were. I think I actually got in a picture sort of in the line of fire. And irritatingly, he looks 20 years oh, younger no, no, than no. he is. He's 12. It's, it's, he's an astonishing performer. Uh, we saw him at Royce Hall, but didn't you see him in England too? No, I tried several times, and they the shows kept being canceled for whatever reason. Right. And I, I thought that I'd never be able to get to see him. And when we saw him, he didn't really. He did jazz, but it was very. He was very restrained. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, but what, that's the thing. He's always uh, evolving. There's, you don't know what you're going to catch him. No, like Chick Corea, I think it's yeah. astonishing the uh, um, the breadth and scope of the kind of music he makes. The stuff with Miles Davis is considered like maybe the greatest jazz quintet of all time. Exactly, and and uh, you just mentioned uh, Chick Corea. He. Performed with Chikoria for one of the weeks of that special birthday yeah. celebration yeah. month, and that we, we went to several years ago. In New York. We went to another week right. uh, that we, when we happened to be in New York, and then he sadly we missed the week he was there. Right, we saw Robbie Coltrane with Chikoria, and it, it was wonderful. No, it was fabulous. Well, anyway, this is a really cool hit that he did, and uh, it's so MTV. Godly and Cream made the video. And there was a British artist who did those mechanical um, uh-huh. robots. And the robots danced around in the video. And it, it, for out of the middle of nowhere in his career, he had an MTV Top <laughs> Ten hit. And it was a giant record for him. And it, as you can see, there's scratching on it. Yep. There's overlaying on it. There's live playing in tracks. It's a really wild record. Well, he, he's so open to... Uh, other performers, other you Whoa. know, it, like it, it's you know, you and I were talking about the length of his career, and it's very Quincy Jonesian. I was just going to say the only person that reminds me of is and Quincy it's Jones. Metamorphosis, because I mean, what is he not covering? Where is he not right. lurking? Film scores, dozens yes. of film scores. Yes. Yeah, he did Colors, he did Blow Up. Uh, um, this and is like Quincy Jones. He he is such an uplifter and celebrant of other performers. He really is. He's as, he's as great at um, exalting other people's material as he is doing his own. This one I had to hear a thousand times in high school because our jazz band, yes, in San Carlos. What? Because this is the Headhunters Did period. Did you say San Carlos? Yes. We had a jazz band at our school, and Headhunters was so big at this period. This was his funk period, and I just always loved this one. They would play it at every assembly for a while. It also has a giant horn part, so everyone in the band could be in it, right? Not just the bass player, the keyboard player, and the because it goes. Ba Well, that's the thing. I mean, he's. 
the composer of so many memorable riffs. Uh, yeah, we played we many we, moves. we played um, uh, not Watermelon Man, uh, Cantaloupe. Which at Cantaloupe Island has been sampled, and we did a whole show on that one. Well, and, and the soundtrack for Blow Up. Here, let's just play one off Blow Up. It's on. Because it's really good. Here, let's play some. Oh, you heard the horns coming there. Mm. This is him doing 60s rock. I love this movie. Yeah, I know you do. Too, by the way. And how hip is it that Herbie Hancock did the soundtrack? He so also hip. did won so an Oscar hip. for the soundtrack for Around Midnight, which he also wrote. And is in. He which plays is the keyboard. Another player. absolutely essential film. So how many genres have we had here so far? By the way, we, we were just last week speaking about Bertrand uh, Tavernier. Yeah. Tavernier made Round Midnight. Yeah. Her, he brought Herbie With Hancock in Dexter to be the, Gordon. the musical composer and director. And Herbie Hancock's in it He plays well. Dexter Gordon's keyboard player. Yeah. And, and then this is so groovy, 60s, total. This is the uh, swing in London scene, the Yardbirds are in this movie, David Hemmings is a photographer who's embroiled in a mystery murder. Right, David Hemmings is obviously playing a, a sort of David Bailey character. Right, right. And there's lots of hip mini skirts and groovy parties with bell he's bottoms. Gonna, and, right, and he's going to have to take many different, uh, he's going to have to find the resolution of the, the photo that he took that won't resolve what transpires? He goes to his dark room in the, in the park. Yeah, yeah. and then but, it, when he blew, yeah, the idea that you can you can capture an image and you still don't know what's happening is great, right? and that's the existential part. He unwittingly photographs a murder, and it happens in the very background of a or giant picture. Did he? Or did he? Because it's the sixties. <laughs> but listen to this part, man. It's so groovy. Oh, here's Verushka. What the one cuts after the famous model? So. Now we've had rock, funk, electronica, blues. Don't, don't fence him in. Oh, no fence him in. There's no keeping him down. I'm going to play uh, one that I think is this, is... this is when his Blue Note um, group that has Ron Carter and everybody, Donald Byrd, whatnot. Let's just hear Might I add that... In the years that we've seen Ron Carter, I mean, when if you see him in town at a at a venue, you must uplift uplift your life and go and go see him because all of the the greatest performers will be in the audience. <laughs> That's true enough. Like dig, Herbie Hancock. Yeah, dig this. This is when he had his own band before he left Blue Note in the late sixties. Roy Hargrove is on the side. Oh, he's got everybody on these. So tasteful. Um, by the way, Mark Myers and Ted Jolo wrote him up on their sites the other day. If you want to go back on Twitter, and they put really bitching clips up. And thank you, everyone who sent me clips of songs, because I know you guys know that we dig to be dug it. And oh, you are you going to play something it. from the Joni letters? I am. I want you to talk about this for a second, because it's uh, something that you really enjoy and is well, personal he, to you. He's, he's been a celebrant of Joni Mitchell, um, like Prince, before right. Prince, obviously. He is always... Uh, been in her corner. Was he on any of her albums, Jennifer? Like Court and Spark or anything like that? Maybe. He might be on Jocko Jaco was, though. J- Jaco Pistorius is definitely on uh She has loads Tajira. of jazz musicians on her albums, you know? 
But um, I God, I now you're, be, you're stumping me. No, I'm not stumping you. It's, no, he might be on the album Mingus. Now I'm going to have to look that up. We'll get an email before we're done broadcasting. Um, <laughs> well, I, I actually don't own Mingus, the Joni Mitchell album, but uh, she told us that if Mingus hadn't been infirm when she was working with him, that he might have slugged her. Because I, I guess that, you know there was some. She was being a bit obstreperous, and he didn't sure really. Enough. I mean, like that friend Leibovitz story about Not Mingus. Not what story. <laughs> she knew him as a she, first of all. Charles Mingus, for those to center things, was a bass player. Yes. Uh, more than that, he was a, a, an towering accomplishment yes. in jazz musician. Right. Had his own band. Played another towering bands. composer. Right. He was known for a couple of things, according to Fran Leibovitz, that he loved to eat. And uh, that he was can tankerous. He carried firearms, and he owned firearms. But also, he had uh, he had uh, he was legendary as a as a sort of um, he he was the the man you had to go to for approval. Yeah, I mean there there was something you know the gravitas. Of mm-hmm. him. Magisterial. Yeah. So the, the Fran Leibovitz so story the idea that, that Fran Leibovitz would be chased down by Charles well, you, have to, you have to set it all up here. She was a teenager and she knew him because her family knew uh, his family or whatever. And then what was the pre- moment that precipitated... Her family was in textiles, right. so one wonders. Well, maybe he liked Shimada. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 some, what precipitated him being angry at her? Well, it was, he was angry. Slight. I think it was continuing a conversation, and she said to him, "You're, you're, you've got a show at the Village well, Vanguard." It was to start that though. She went into the back of the showroom, and he leapt from the stage during a set and chased Fran Leibowitz for three or four blocks <laughs> to down continue the, street. the conversation. And finally, they were both exhausted, and she couldn't believe she was running from Mingus. She's a teenage girl in New York, and he stops and goes, "Look, let's get something to eat," <laughs> and she goes. You're on. Right, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be doing a <laughs> you, show. Right now, you're on at the Village Vanguard. What are you doing chasing me down the street? So He's trying to prove a point. Yeah. He's finishing the argument. So, Joni Mitchell made an album called The Hissing of Summer Lawns, and it's a California classic. It's really beautifully composed and put together, and she's in a pool in the inter, in the Norman side of the, Right. Norman Steve took Steve a photo. The photography. Oh my god! My friend Jeff Belton and I used to listen to it all the time when it came out. Right? Oh, I, I got it the minute it came out. I remember passing by. I think Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith had albums out at the same time, and I remember like yeah. Uh, yeah, gingerly stepping past that. I believe he to had grabbed the Joni Mitchell album, thinking like, you know, she was so ahead of everyone then. Yeah. And it's more a little more vaunt. And also, like, you know, what album was that one? I think that's Darkness at the Edge of Town. It's right around Ahead that period. Ahead of the other white performance. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, also, she liked jazz and stuff. She had different tonalities going on and different yes. textures and stuff. Yes, although I think we've talked about uh, Furry Lewis did not appreciate <laughs> her song about him. Well, you're not going to hit a home run with everybody all the time, are you, Jennifer? Uh, in any case, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a wonderful album, and it has a great pop hit on it called When Friends They Kiss on Main Street. But Herbie Hancock did... a Several years ago, here in Hollywood, uh, a concert of it and an album of it. Danced around that it's uh, 
That song, the hit song, is about David Geffen. No, that's a different David Geffen song. That's uh, Free Man in Paris. And Francis Kiss on Main Street is oh, the sorry, yeah. downtown, my darling damsel, in a war of independence. Me and I know, Jack I was Dalton's. so eager to share right? David Geffen. Well, the David Geffen was downer uh, news. Uh, what was it in France? Uh, Free Man in Paris is David Geffen, which bummed right. me out when I found out about it. because it, I told you. It, right, it made me change my mind. It was, in fact, my favorite song on that record. Because in high school, as I said with the, the Herbie Hancock record, if you were at a jazz cat's house, they would put on Headhunters. And if you were at other people's house, they would play a Court and Spark at the party. It depended on how much you know tea was being drunk or wine or whatnot. And, um, wow. So you got a heaping helping of... Uh, at the end of the night, um, Rock and Roll Animal by Lou Reed. And at some point, The Harder They Come would get spun for a while. You know, this is the 70s that we're talking about. I always thought it was it was funny. These those, are the fun parties, those, by the way, not those... the jock parties. The jock parties, it was Leonard Skinner and yes. Really? Yeah, my, you, in my you, town. You, I'm from you, a white people town. You went to jock parties? Yeah. heard about well, They them. had kegs and stuff. Um, the thing that was, is interesting <laughs> about those albums by her that you're talking about... Are the, it's the juxtaposition between the Canadian imagery and the L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Herbie Hancock did the... He, he did a show at the Hollywood Bowl. Right. With a bunch of stars. And and he really... I don't know how much she was involved with this. Um, it was really his baby. And mm-hmm. he, he uh, curated... An awesome list, and my favorite performance on the album is Tina Turner. And when you and I were watching the Tina Turner documentary, which was kind of a palate cleanser after... This was so good. It it was so good. So, I mean, the fact that... Is she in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't don't think so. I don't know. What the hell? Like I said, corporate dinner with Steve Dan. Like like George Carlin. Yeah. It's a shutout. Don't worry about it, yeah. Um, She's in the Hall of Fame of fans because she has devoted fans like nobody has devoted fans. Amazing, you know. Absolutely. Um, The the thing that was distressing in watching the documentary was how many times so long after the fact that she was asked about her abusive ex-husband. And you just think, but you're the... You know, one of the biggest stars on earth. Mm-hmm. You're, you're Tina Turner. You didn't just have a How comeback. How insulting. And she was very yeah. patient no, about it. Very patient. She, um, she hasn't just had a comeback. She's been a, a meteor. Well, a meteor always sounds funny to me because meteors fall. But um, she has had a meteoric second half of her career. Since the 80s, she hasn't done anything, including a Broadway show two years ago. Yes, the Broadway show. That of she her, went to. Yes. And, I, you know, she, she steered show that. Of her. Uh, She's alive. The Temptations, there's one. Very much so. And she's living in Switzerland. And I I love that interview with her uh, from last year. I think year before. Mm, She's been a lot of time. Well, I I don't think she doesn't have to. She's Tina Turner. Uh, No. Uh, But it's awesome that she has uh, someone that she with her who supports her and that she's you know, living living in a, a kind of cosseted life, which she so well deserves. Always the peace and serenity, uh, comfort. Uh, she doesn't have to scrap for everything. She's had to scrap for so long. When she got discovered again for the comeback, she was singing a, di- a disco act in a cabaret ride, and he brought a guy to see her. Um, years ago, she played our dear friend Rex Ray, who had grown up in Denver. 
he was working at concerts as a teenager and he was working at a venue and he told me he saw them carry Tina Turner off the bus because she'd been so beaten and she did a show that night. And I'll never forget him telling me that because he saw it with his own eyes, what she went through and that she went on stage. And then when you look at the videos of her and you think no one, no one gives it up like that on stage. No. You know, James Brown, Little Richard, oh, no. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about uh, Simon Hammerstone the other week, as we often do, and how electrifying they were uh, to us as children on TV. And Tina Turner on TV when we were little, when they would come out and do Proud Mary and all the other numbers, uh, she was always extraordinary. And my parents were riveted. Everybody was riveted. She she exuded an insane amount of animal charisma, as well as being a fantastic dance rock well, star. Rock star. She's a giant, giant ass. She she's also. I mean, she's just so smart, and her uh, artistic sensibilities and guided she, her and saved mm. her. And also, I mean, her strength of character. Um, we know someone that was married to her abuser. Yes, we do. And didn't have the same experience. I mean, things are so complicated and strange that... Uh, anyway, it's a great documentary, and they are complicated Maybe we should cut that out. Well, no, it doesn't matter, that, because the documentary doesn't answer it either. It can't. Uh, it's a documentary about her, and it ends on a beautiful note of her triumph. She's had a movie made of her life. She's had a Broadway show made of her life. She had her book. She had her hit albums. Thank when, God. When you were in Paris years ago, she was playing the soccer stadium yes. one of the soccer stadiums Paris, 60,000 seater I mean her, her success as a performer in every element film uh, uh, recording uh, uh, books at Broadway there's nothing that she Angela hasn't Angela Bassett was so awesome and she, let's Tina be Turner. honest Larry, uh, Larry Lawrence Fishburne and her really you couldn't have then you couldn't we have we couldn't so let's just this. This is a, when they did the album, uh, the concert live here in Los Angeles. It was Chaka Khan and Wayne Shorter and a bunch of other great artists. When they did the album and he put the whole album together, we got Tina to sing this number. Just tee it up a little bit for me, the number, because I'm I probably won't get right what it's about or anything. Well, it, it's it's a very dark story about a woman having to deal with gangsters, well, and it's something that you know obviously. She brings the heart and the pain to this song, but her voice, her vocal on it is really special. And I think it's just, uh, I, I really love that Herbie Hancock chose her to sing this song because she brings it a very special uh, kind of like she's going to get through this. And on right? that note, we give you Edith and the Kingpin. Stickless name 
improvement on the original sure and it's like she's narrating this yeah. intense feminist noir when he walks in he's greeted by disco dancers but yeah. right she's you know yeah. you reimagine it yeah tina it's, turner's directing the action and wild those wild notes she's hitting uh, by the way the album's called river colon the Joni letters is the name of the album uh, and there's a bunch of other artists on it um, but as you can tell it's pretty swank and um, Herbie Hancock um, fantastically on this version Leonard Cohen does the jungle line <laughs> <laughs> it seems appropriate that Leonard Cohen should assay uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh, very much so. I mean, they knew each other in their early, early days. Do I hear one shorter? Yep, you do. Well, anyway, happy birthday to Herbie Hancock and well done to Tina Turner. You won't, I don't know if it's as uh, catchy. Uh, How could Herbie Hancock be 81? I mean, he really does look. I wasn't going to go there with the ages. As Satchel Paige said, if you didn't know how old you were, how old would you be? You wouldn't know. And my favorite uh, Satchel Paige line, I've said it once, I'll say it a million times, I'm 44. (laughs) That one just makes me laugh. exactly. I'll say it a million times, I'm 44. Uh, So, yeah, uh, let me talk about some gigs here, and then let's get to the heart of the matter, because we've got to start the show. Um, But, of course, there's bills to pay let's see where's my gigs uh, this week on friday i'm doing a it's a glebe thing with uh, my comedy prodigal son ben glebe uh, we improvise we skimprovise we snimprovise we reefinize and we chiefinize um there's fields of untold uncooked uh, ideas that we bring into a, a salty uh, maryland pot full of allspice and i'm not sure what crab boil i believe they call it anyway 
It's uh, gregpoops.com, eventbrite.com, also nowherecomedy.com. It starts at 5, and then we do a VIP. The last one we did was really, really bloody funny. I have to say myself, I'm a harsh critic, even in my um, proopitude, and I... Uh, I thought we actually did a really good job. I feel like when we do more politics and do characters along that line, and you know what I mean, the jokes write themselves, as they say. <laughs> jo- I, in my experience, Jennifer, as an improviser and really? comedian over the last, and uh, improvateur, as Bud Friedman once said, over the last 725 years of organized time, the, what the Mayans call the short count. Um, what? I found that in no instance have a joke written itself. Jokes do not write themselves. They require either one of two things. One, a conscious will to write something and then edit it so that it's funny and or take it out in front of people, which is the same thing, and trot it out a few times and then fix it. Or you have a moment of divine inspiration where it blurts out of you because the confluence of all of your thoughts and your equipoise has led you to that moment. And those are the only two instances where jokes write themselves, I think. In other words, they don't ever write themselves. Even when you're so making one like of, a Keith Richards situation where you go to sleep and you dream it the is, lyrics to satisfaction. It is, no, it is the second. It is the second one. It's both because Keith has also sat down in a room with Mick and for days and weeks and months tried to make this song work. Just try to make it work. God, we tried a samba. We tried a rumbo. We tried to make it. You know what I mean? And then oh, it's a blues, right? Like they really did do that. But also Keith fell asleep and woke up in satisfaction was on his tape recorder. <laughs> I love so much today that, that Mick Jagger said that he is not taking any phone calls from relatives and friends who won't get vaccinated. I love that so much. That he is just like, you can't talk to people. If, he, if they believe conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and they won't get vaccinated for the public good, he just doesn't have right. time for ask, it. Ask me if I've learned anything new during the... Have I, what was it, the question? Have you done anything? Right. Have you, have you uh, learned anything... Since the pandemic started? Uh, um, no, no, <laughs> not really. You know, I'm you know, lucky in the most. You know, I've been out here in the country. You know, really, he's lucky. All, all year by myself. And, uh, you know, I haven't... No, I, you know, I play, play guitar, you know. So. Um, I love that he said learning languages badly. Yeah, he goes learning languages badly. Cause it, which means his, he went on that site. What's that site yeah. that everybody goes on to try to learn Latin or whatever? <laughs> right. And you, you, it's like the chess thing when the chess show came out. Remember I played chess yes. like 20 times and then that was over. It's like being 11 again. Nowherecomedy.com, April 17th. It's a G thing. Um, is that a stupid name? I thought it was clever, but I'd, I'd always wanted to use it before with um, other Gregs that I knew. I know that Greg wow, believes telling. not a Greg. Greg Barron and I were going to do one once upon a time with, was it Greg Fitzsimmons and Greg Gerardo? We were going to call it 4G or something, or it's a G, yeah. It is, is that too many Gregs involved in a project? Not if they're funny. Wow. What? Um, and then the smartest man in the world, Poopcast. Uh, Jennifer will be out this one. In spirit, anyway. On April 23rd at 5 p.m. April 23rd from the Porpoise of Fruititude right here. NowhereComedyClub.com. Eventbrite.com. GregProops.com. Join us, won't you? I don't know when the next Streamweavers is. And I believe we can get you through the night. The last Streamweavers we had, um, Gary uh, Anthony... Uh, my God, I blanked on his last name. He's on... Uh, Williams? Yeah, Gary Anthony Williams uh, on from Who's Line and a million other shows. God damn it, he was funny. He did his acting clinic class. And so we came to him with different premises, right? And I said, I'm in an indie film in um, Ireland. And he goes, oh, yeah, right. Um, we call that an I-I-I-N or whatever. <laughs> and, I'm, 
<laughs> or an IFI. We oh right, an IFIN. I always support tech, taking the piss. And, he, and right. so I go like, I'm not sure how to connect with the character. He is the he does an acting like what Nigel Planner used to do. I oh. never played a role twice so the same good. way. Yeah, Gary Gary Anthony was just the funniest goddamn. You want to make show business. Your business. It's just so he was on last time, and and Lorraine Newman came on and told awesome show business stories. In fact, she was promoting her memoir, and uh, right on. She didn't seem to she leave has a lot to tell. She didn't leave out any. You know, she her stories weren't boring. It was like we didn't go to lunch, and it was really nice. No one wants to hear that. We all want to hear about how you lost your shit, and you know, right, right. Um, someone was asking on Twitter the other day who they would want to be on stuck on a flight next to. Right. And I was thinking, well, you know, really you want to leave that person alone and yeah. be quiet. But then I was thinking about when we were on the plane from London to Glasgow, I was sitting next to Catherine O'Hara and I thought that she wanted to just, you know, maybe rest, check out have a cup of coffee. Cause she just flown in from the States and we had been in London for a while and she wanted to chat the whole time. Yeah. And may I say, I was delighted. I benefited from that because we were in hysterics the entire time. Yeah. We couldn't shut up. And No, she, every time I looked around, you guys' heads were together and you were she laughing. She was, well, I mean, I don't even have to say that she's so funny. She is. A genius. The essence of funny. Yeah. Uh, she just walks around being. No. A, the sun rises and sets on her fucking funniness. Exactly. As I once said to her, we were doing his line in the old days when it was still a British show, I think the second or last year of that. And they they got her to do it, which was really great. And we were over at KTLA. And she goes, um, oh, I'm nervous to do some bit. And I went, I don't care. I love you. <laughs> and um, I've told this story before. It's so boring. But anyway, fuck it. I know her and you don't, so well, fuck you. Um, and we she, haven't she, mentioned that, that we took the flight with her and that she was the life of the... You yeah, know. she's bloody marvelous. After a, a lengthy flight from the States, she was... Buzzy. Buzzy and delightful. Hilarious, yeah. She was having tea, and we, we just couldn't shut up. And, right. And uh, she is absolutely the essence of... And the reason her character is so funny on Schitt's Creek. Uh, the Drive. Oh, my God. Um, she only does... like a, She's only in like two or three numbers in Nightmare. And the energy when she comes on stage is just tremendous, you know. Well, she's so genuine. And all of them, though, I'll say that when we played Tokyo, Danny got like at one point like an Al Jolsonian <laughs> amount of like a Burt Robbinsian amount of like you haven't seen this many encores since Vaudeville. <laughs> right. It was at the, like after the tenth one or whatever, you were like, okay, this is getting crazy. Well, and Ken Page. But I was gonna say, and then the other one's Ken Page. Ken oh Page my has God. one number. And he just. Steals oh, no, no. It. He has one number. Just... Act two is boss because the first two numbers are, um, yeah, and uh, it's really good. So that, that Pee- part's... A... I mean, Paul Rubens. Oh, Pee Wee's number's great. Paul Rubens uh, this is so funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, for, I, had an, I don't know how that slipped my mind. Uh, another genius of comedy. So this is, you know, when I, uh, if I get overexcited and overheated, about Nightmare and no there's no news yet but there will be really really soon in three weeks time there'll be news really yeah uh, and uh, uh, but gee, that's why I get so excited about it not just because they're in it because I love all the people I work with but it, it's like being in a a, a traveling 
affair in like the 1900s or something because nothing's as mm. bulky as instruments, right? <laughs> we have harps on stage, two harps, and a, a piano, and, you know, hundreds of woodwinds and strings and bassoons and all that. And then all of us and all in costume and all that mess. That's why I get so excited. I would never do it on my own. I'm too lazy to organize it. What? Um, are we going to talk about Al Green or are we going to go into the yes. uh, the deal here? Al Green? Yeah. All right. It's so Al Green's birthday. Uh, Al Green, when I was in junior high, I think, indomitable. There was a period in the 70s. Well, you just couldn't. You couldn't avoid Al Green's voice. His complete originality. He was with another group and another label, and then he went to High. And um, High Records had a producer, yeah, it is Willie Mitchell, a producer named Willie Mitchell, who was made vice president. And he got Al Green together and Ann Peebles, who did mm. uh, Can't Stand the Rain and whatnot. He's someone and that was so huge that he... They were in South Memphis. ...disappeared sorry. for a while because of issues. And came back and had hits. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that yeah. doesn't happen. Oh, no. He's had a gigantic second uh, He's so He's so big that uh, other people have covered songs that he's famous for, like uh, Take Me to the River. Oh, yeah. A million times. Brian Ferry, Talking Heads. I remember the Brian Ferry one. But his... Don't know why you love me like I do. After all the changes. Maybe you don't understand what it's like to sing from a settee in your country estate while you're reading Horse and Hound. <laughs> that is Brian. Right, in your Persian slippers. Brian's, you know. He then has, there was the he Talking has, Heads one. I don't know why. Love like I do. Yeah. All the changes. <laughs> yeah, it brought that song back, though. And but that was the best the, part of that. Who was the, the phenomenal keyboard player? Funk, keyboard. Oh, Bernie Worrell? Yeah, Bernie Worrell made, made that. Oh, yeah, when they did that happen. one live. Well, here's one uh, that's a, a, a recent Al Green classic, and it's a cover of... First, let's play the Freddie Fender one, and then you'll get the whole Whoa. difference. Freddie Fender was a, a performer who did a couple years in Louisiana Penitentiary for marijuana. Um, and then he, he got uh, uh, hooked up with a producer who's very famous, who did Sir Douglas Quintet and a bunch of stuff, a very famous Tex-Mex producer. And he brought him this song, and he sings half of it in English and half of it in Spanish. And it was so huge, it was number one on both pop and country. If he brings you happiness, then I wish you both the best. It's your happiness that matters most of all. I'll be there before the next Right, the drama. What was his real name? Oh my God, you're stumping me. I was reading it before today. Of course it wasn't Freddie Fender. He had several. He was Alfredo uh, Con Shades at one point or something Con Shades. And he was also El Sabato or something. He had several guys. Really? Yeah, he was a rockabilly star at the, in the middle and... And then he said that fantastically... Um, the he was huge the in the 70s. He kicked it. He, this was platinum. The, oh and then the God. follow-up hit was platinum, which was... Uh, what was that one? Uh, 
Why should I keep loving you uh-huh. when I know you're not true? Uh, that one was called Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. And then it, he went on to join Flaco Jimenez and all these other cats and had several iterations of different bands, a ton of bands. And they won a thousand Grammys. And he, when he passed, he was wildly successful and had many Grammys. Oh my God. He, he was uh, gigantic. But he scrap heaped for about a dozen years. And that's what makes his story unique. He's someone who. Didn't have anything happen, went to prison, and then this guy came to him well, and said, I've got a song Merle for you. Haggard. And he was in his 30s or whatever. Merle the, Haggard? Merle Haggard was in the joint and, and got out and decided, I'm not going back to the joint. And But I'm going to be... Pressing. Oh, my God. Uh, Baldemar Huerta. Yeah, Baldemar. That's Bal- it. Bal- Here the, I got it wrong. What were his other... He was El, El Bebop, Bebop kid, kid, but he was also something called Shades. It was great. Um... Here's Al Green's version of Before the Next Teardrop Falls, before we get too far from the subject. Reverend Al Green. Right? If he brings you happiness. Wait, it's an Al Green song. I thought it was a Freddie Fender song. No. Like I, I said to you when I said it to you, this is exactly what he does. Like Aretha Franklin, he's going to make it his own song. The beat, everything's different. The organ. Yeah. And that part. Like this is such a well, beautiful Fred, tradition. You have to realize what the origin of country is. I, I, I do. I'm just saying that's why I love this. Like, you know, so many things. Whoa! It's, it's about uh, indigenous peoples and African American people. Uh, and Freddie Fender. And. Right? Uh, yeah, it was country's a joint effort and has many great influences. One of the best influences is the Latin influence, which right? is why Buck Owens has any sass in his music. Isn't He's a great songwriter, but he also goes that mariachi route, which is absolutely and acknowledging though that Bakersfield's influenced by that, and that that's a place where right this version's Titanic. It's a gospel song now. Really. But that's the beauty of America, is the melting pot 
right? I mean, that's the best of us. Yeah. The elasticity. That's why I always hated all the categories. And why the goodest artists that we're always talking about, by the way, Herbie Hancock and Johnny Mitchell and Al Green and uh, Freddie Fender, are t- dealing in a load of different genres. They didn't play one thing their whole life. It's not a heavy metal band where they don't ever do anything else or even a ballad for like a whole career. Uh, here's one more Al Green song just because uh, we like to party. And this is the one I pick because I. There were so many big hits, but I just really love this one. Let's start with the bridge. Oh, so, yeah. It's a good thing there's not a camera here, ladies and gentlemen. A picture of himself without the, a shirt. Uh, this cover. This cover. Yeah, on his birthday. Oh no. Well, Jennifer, his pregnancy rate to his music is extremely <laughs> high. My understanding is the fertilization curve for an Al Green record is, and the, there's only a few artists who can even approach. Very. Uh, uh, I was going to say very wide. Uh, uh, Teddy Pendergrass. Mm. Um, Marvin Gaye. Yeah. There's a lot of uh The thing about all of his songs I always feel like is when they come on there's such a beautiful familiarity with them. It's not even like Motown, it's so intimate. They're... The horns are the same, his vocals are the same. There's a tone. He's to... not stressed. It's absolutely identifiable the second it starts. Yeah, it's yeah. so original. Well, he makes it his own. Every oh song God. is his. I mean, like, you know, Take Me to the River, it's like, really? You're going to try that? You know. Right? Good on you. Yeah. Um, All right, since you asked. May I? Just for one second, and then yes, you may. Just in case you didn't know what his version sounded like. Yeah, I don't know. 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 Yeah, I don't know.
You might have. Have I not? Yeah. Well, this song, though. Wow. Everybody else's version can go take a walk. Wow. All right. Here, let's uh, let's move on to other topics. And anyway, well, happy birthday, Al Green, and happy birthday, Herbie Hancock. Um. Again, the rich pageantry of the contribution of. Uh, right. Uh. And. Given what's been going on, I, I wanted to pay tribute to someone that swirled on. Um, Let's talk about Alvin Sykes. He was a civil rights legend and longtime Kansas City community activist. Um, this is from the Kansas City Star. He was best known for his work opening up cold cases of African Americans, such as the 1955 lynching of Emmett Till in Mississippi. Oh, my goodness. And was the impetus for the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act, which it, it's so important. It, you know, it's just given what's happened yeah. this month, even in the last few days. Um, this we saw a relative of Emmett Till in Minnesota speaking with relatives of Dante Wright's. Yeah. Family. Um, Unbelievable. Alvin Sykes was primarily responsible for Kansas City police reopening their investigations into a 1970 murder. In, in 2010, new evidence suggested local mobsters or their associates were involved in this murder. Oh what God. a phenomenon he was, Kansas Senator David Haley said Friday. Haley said Sykes always called him his big little brother as a term of endearment. Haley said the cornerstone of his cornerstone of his advocacy and larger accomplishments in the Kansas legislature were purely inspiration, the motivation and dogged determination of Alvin Sykes. And there's a really beautiful uh, eulogy to him in the New York Times. Why was he so young? He was so young. Um, he died at a hospice, but it, you might understand if you knew that he'd been left partially paralyzed from a uh, fall two years ago. Oh, kittens. Um, he never took, this is the wild part, he never took the bar exam. Oh, no, and got all that done. Yes, he was a brilliant legal and legislative operator whose admirers included city council members, politicians, and U.S. attorneys general from both parties. He was a superb attorney, better than I ever was, said David Haley. I've watched him argue the law in front of appellate court judges. He understood the law. He was a Buddhist from his 20s. He led a monk's life in the name of social justice. He rarely held a job, wore secondhand clothing, and lacked a permanent address for long stretches of time, staying with friends instead and living off donations and later speaker fees. He never learned to drive. He walked everywhere, most often to the reference section of the library in Kansas City, Missouri, where he did his research. I mean, his story is just phenomenal what you can do. Right, he. This is anyone who amazing. worked in civil rights during the last several decades knew Alvin Sykes, said the director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism. He changed the face 
of American law, and he learned it all in a Kansas City library. His first victory came in 1983 when he persuaded the Department of Justice to reopen the case of Steve Harvey, a black musician who'd been killed by a white man in a park in 1980. Um, He just, he went after and was a crusader for justice. Please keep going on this because it goes back to Emmett Till again, this case, but in particular. Um, The and it's so pertinent this week. Yes. A jury had acquitted the assailant, Raymond Bledsoe, but Mr. Sykes argued that Mr. Bledsoe had infringed on Mr. Harvey's civil rights on public property, a violation of a 1968 Civil Rights Act. The federal government took up the case, and Mr. Bledsoe was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. The case brought Mr. Sykes national acclaim, but something Mr. Harvey's widow said nagged at him. Her husband was the second victim of racial injustice in her family, the first being her distant cousin, Emmett Till. Mm. Wow. I can't believe that he actually lived through penury and put his entire life toward this cause and really laid it on the line, not having a permanent address. Right. Studying at the Kansas Public Library. In 2005, he helped write a bill to fund a civil rights cold case initiative within the FBI. Um, It was opposed by a Republican from Oklahoma who thought the proposal was a waste of money. Undeterred, Mr. Sykes reached out to that senator and after several failed attempts, got a meeting with him. Following an hours-long conversation, the senator not only relented, but also became an advocate. That's how persuasive he was. I mean, the man was relentless. Um, The senator became such an advocate that he went to the Senate floor with it in 2007 Acknowledging Mr. Sykes, just before the Senate sent the bill to President George W. Bush to sign, I can't say enough about his stamina, his integrity, his forthrightness, his determination. Um, Yeah. He had a painful childhood, uh, just putting it mildly, and he was in the Marines, and... Coming back full circle, he spent several years working in and around the city's music scene and met the jazz pianist Herbie Hancock. The two became friends, and Herbie Hancock, a Buddhist, persuaded Mr. Sykes to convert. Isn't that just awesome? He was a tireless advocate for victims of injustices, from murder to the denial of food stamps. I mean, his his obituary here in the New York Times is just... It's extraordinary. Uh, he... And the thing that is just almost unbelievable, in 2019, he was rushing through Union Station. The reason he was injured was he was rushing to catch a train to Chicago to attend the 80th birthday party of a man who was a child... Uh, was the last person to see Emmett Till alive. And that's how he was injured. Oh, he hit his head. Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, that article is from the New York Times by Clay Risen. And what an awesome person Alvin Sykes was at 64 mm. to all he accomplished. I, it's, it's unfathomable. And 
How did Herbie Hancock appear? And converted him to Buddhism. It's an amazing story, Jennifer. I'm not sure how we follow this at this point. Um, Alvin Sachs is something to consider uh, when we all think about the inconveniences in our life, as I certainly do, like having to get up and make coffee and whatnot, and uh, how they're insurmountable. And then other people are able to go to the public library and live off other people's couches and whatnot so that they might pursue some higher ideal. What, what a difference he made in other people's lives. The world. Um, Lorraine O'Grady is 86. Oh, yes, the artist. And she is having a retrospective now at the Brooklyn Museum. And I don't know what the the protocol is for the Brooklyn Museum at this juncture. My understanding is you get to the door and it's a scrum. Really? Yeah, and you just fight your way. No, I am certain. She also a- has a book of her text that was published by Duke University. She's 86 years old. She's an African-American artist who didn't become an artist until her 40s. And when asked about her comeback, quote unquote, she said, comeback, I haven't ever been there. <laughs> Um, she, she, her, her interviews are awesome because she does not take anybody's, yeah. you know, when people tell me you, your work is so fresh, it could have been made yesterday. That's a sure sign. Nothing has changed. Wow. She said, um, her work was used as a template for one of the uh, Biden-Harris post-election videos. Really? Yeah, because in 1983... Oh, the frames. Right. Yeah. In 1983, she was at the African American uh, Day Parade in Harlem, and her float was uh, dancers carrying a frame and so that they could frame black people, so that black people were the art, mm-hmm. the, the underrepresented, mm. uh, that they were... Uh, featured that they were uh, highlighted. Um, Tracy Ellis Ross uh, at the last, I think, Met Ball used it as a vignette. Yes. She actually appeared with a gold frame yeah. as, as a riff on Lorraine O'Grady's work. Um, Lorraine O'Grady said about Biden using that. She, she said, Biden is saying the same thing to the country that I was saying to the art world. We are a very large and diverse community, and we all need to be included. Um, Her work is in collage, performance, video. Uh, She said, I was not content to be invisible. There was a deep anger that made me undertake this work. Mm. I want people to know that black people can be complicated. That has always been my goal. And here she is at 86 having a retrospective at the Brooklyn Museum. Just fantastic. Way overdue, of course, but uh, everything, I think, now is so moving toward this at all times. Yes. And yes. that's the, the yeah. if there's one good thing. That, I, I feel oh, like the, change is not, tragedy. right now, change is not incremental. Change is, you know, we're, it's happening. Yeah. It's happening. We were on pause with the pandemic. Change is happening. We were on pause with the Nazis. I feel hopeful. You know, we uh, Malcolm Kenyatta is running for senator in Pennsylvania. Uh, You know, there's so many. Maya Wiley for mayor of New York. Yes. There are so many 
things that that can make big change possible and it's really exciting at this point and we're what we're 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 setting records every week with the vaccination we're moving toward a new beginning no the, yes the the amount of people that are being vaccinated is uh incredible and that goes such a long way we're it's it, it's exponential now every week too that's the thing it'll be three million one day four million in a day and whatnot mm-hmm. and to be able to accomplish that after only being up and running for a hundred days i think is um, a fairly astonishing feat i have to say I, I i know that we can i say that he's the best president ever in my life and I, that she's the best vice president ever there i said it i agree even if there's mistakes no, but i agree even if i i can't be i can't no but i i'm so i mean there's so much to be upset about but right. i feel so grateful that yeah biden and harris are are president and vice president i i can't be happier um the people that they have put in that in the positions of power i mean the the head of the epa tweeted tonight about what is going on in minnesota mm-hmm. there would never have been that even you know years ago yeah. i mean we're we're we've got people that are here's one that absolutely are communing with the moment. Oh God, this Secretary Cardona, who's yeah, the, Miguel Cardona, who's the Secretary of Education. Right. He today it's over now, so I wish we could say that you could watch it or listen to it. Uh, did a virtual jazz workshop with Herbie Hancock for Jazz Appreciation Month. By the way, it's Jazz Appreciation. Can you Month. imagine any any time they had Kid Rock? But I mean, in the White House. I mean, that's where they were coming Let, from. Let's forget that I, and, and uh, emphasize the fact that we're having Jazz Appreciation uh, Month, and that from the Secretary of Education, our Secretary, our new Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, doesn't own seven yachts. Is is talking to Herbie Hancock, uh-huh. someone who's vital to the essence of what America is and uh, should be. Uh, it's having access to Bach. You know I mean, what I mean? We're, it's just, it's, yeah. It's the very best of you ha- yeah. what could be happening. A word that I read uh, today that described Herbie Hancock was elite. And I thought, uh, I don't know that elite's the word I'd use, but I absolutely get what you're talking about because of the breadth and scope of this talent. But, and that know, Secretary I, Cardona would be able to put something together like this for Jazz Appreciation Month. And it's ter- his institute. It's the yes. Herbie Hancock Jazz, Herbie, the Hancock Institute.org. That he's doing it for. It's so boss. Um, when I had put aside the story about Lorena Grady to talk about her last month, I didn't know that she was the template for the Biden video. Right. I mean, that was just incidental. Wow. But the idea that they would, that they have people that have the heart to immediately gravitate to an 86-year-old African-American woman that's having her first retrospective at the Brooklyn Museum, to include her in it, to obviously talk to her about them doing this, to have her approval of it, is, I don't know, my heart just swells. Well, there's no other president that was going to do that. Or administration but I mean the time the time yeah. but they're seizing the time yeah 
and they're running with it. Yep. They're running with it. They're mm. running to make our lives better. I love the wild spending and the bold initiatives. It's, it's just great. Infrastructure to include caregivers. I mean, that's just the yeah. very essence. Caregivers. Yeah. They're most often people of color. The idea that, and, and just, you know, nothing could be more essential to the fabric of American well, life. I think that's why. Caregivers. You're finding that. Everything they're doing is really popular and that the people who are opposed to it are, it's hard to be opposed to like looking after the elderly. It's hard to be opposed to like I'm everyone should have the sunshine. internet. Right? It's so grumpy. Uh, I'm just going to read this really quick. It's yeah. not that significant because I don't really care about wow. the other side, but I think you have to know, um, uh, what you're dealing with here. Um, Republicans really have nothing right now. Because everything that they're putting forward is is insane, they have, they have racist, co- corruption, and and future lawsuits, uh, and possible incarceration. Well, but hundreds of lawsuits about their uh, voting suppression and and all the things that are going to eventually come to giant court cases. In any case, uh, Joe Biden's been doing uh, such a masterful job with Kamala Harris of um, not rising to any of the internet. Um, clickbait. They're, they don't have anything on the other side but petty culture war kind of stuff that's really irrelevant to the argument. Oh, they have Kremlin talking points. Yeah. So, How beautiful is it that Biden always includes our vice president Kamala Harris? Well, it's essential. He and uh, President Obama enjoyed that relationship. President Obama really did have him there at every meeting mm-hmm. and was the last person in the room, which is unlike. And by the way, all these people that they we lionize or that the the, the media, the left wing liberal media lionizes, like Reagan and whatnot. Reagan didn't really love H.W. that much. Not at all. And Cheney, as you know, his relationship with W. was kind of a like Cheney was in charge and it was really bad. You guys. I don't know if I'm breaking the news on this, but a lot of people don't seem to know. Um, Nixon had two inconceivably awful vice presidents, Tyro Agnew and Nelson (laughs) Rockefeller. Or no, no, uh, Gerald Ford. And then Gerald Ford had Nelson Rockefeller as his vice president, which was just a shocking state of affairs. It was basically like saying we've given over and we're just letting corporate America, we're letting Standard Oil, um, you know, take, have a go. Um, they're in disarray right now. And who do I mean? I mean, um, the other team. And here's what they said. You'll never get any... Uh, Andrew Feinberg writes for The Independent and many other publications. And I found this and I just thought the quote was really good. This was a Republican consultant about Joe Biden. You'll never get anyone to admit this on record, but it's really fucking hard to drive down the negatives of an affable, gentlemanly white man who says nice, positive things most of the time. So their mission has been with the Dr. Seuss and this and that and whatnot. They're 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 actually ruefully tweeting. They wish there had been more, you know, um, in, you know, inflammatory rhetoric and his whatnot. Uh, John Cornyn of Texas, who's absolutely a prawn, said, "Oh <laughs> God, it was you know, why can't Biden do like hot tweets or whatever?" And it's 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 over. Um, because he's coherent, that there's content, there's there's importance in what he's saying and doing, and it's popular. 
uh, everybody wants this to be over. Here's a couple things that... We'd uh, all like to go outside again and maybe go to a theater. I'd love to take you to dinner and go to the movies like we used to do in the old days. And I think everyone can relate to that. I know we're the most annoying couple in America, but still. Uh, And if you adhere to uh, the science and all that they're talking about, I think it's going to happen sooner than later. I will say this about uh, the uh, Who's Live group that I'm involved in with Joel Murray, um, uh, Jeff, Jeff, David, Jeff David, and Ryan Stiles. Um, That group, uh, we're, I think, going to be on the road if, you know, a million things can go wrong between now and then. But what I'm glad to believe is we're going to go autumn. Yeah, exactly. Things will happen. Um, I love that Mar- uh, Mary sorry. Mary Clayton and Tony Allen both have new albums out. Are you going to play Mary Clayton? Mary Clayton's in her 70s. Yeah. Tony Allen swirled away last year. Yes. They're, they have new albums out. Um, one of the sites I love to read is Quietus. Right. And what I loved about uh the Tony Allen album is that he had so many new performers yeah. on it. You know, he he was the percussionist drummer behind Fela Kuti. Yeah. He was still reaching out to new young performers yeah. at that late date. And it's just awesome. Um, um, Mary Clayton is 72. Tell me about Mary Clayton first. Well, she she's just she's a phenomenally legendary backing singer, and she was in the movie Twenty Feet from Stardom from 2013, which was an Oscar-winning documentary that put the spotlight. No, well, awesome movie, right? On singers, it is. I absolutely recommend it. It's called Twenty Feet from Stardom, and so many beautiful women singers who were never given their spotlight. They were near the spotlight. And it's it's a, a strange film in that way. Um, she has a new f- uh, album out. She's famously on the Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter. Very much so called. Uh, she's on the song Gimme Shelter. Yeah. And it, it's a, a And sad, blows Mick off the record. Yeah, she does. Because she's all that um, she has an amazingly strong voice and this is a, a song from her play that shit loud dealt with a lot of trauma. No. And the fact that she's still around and yeah. she's still she's still uh, making records. Um, the Tony Allen 
album features younger performers uh, and here's one this is stumbling down with uh, Sampa the Great of things and he was you know too cool for school right oh, most decidedly he was always experimental um, he was always uh, on the edge of things yeah it's sensational do you want to talk about DMX yeah and then let's go um, DMX uh left us just a couple of days ago mm. and he was on we've, we've talked about how much we've loved Versus and how it was such a an awesome thing to watch during the pandemic and he was on a, a really right. lovely Versus with Snoop Dogg <laughs> and, and they both have such you know great personalities yeah. and, and sense of humor and he was only 50 Oh, he was only 50. I mean, granted, he had a lot of issues, but, you know, fuck that. He uh, gave a lot of people a lot of joy. There were, there was uh, so many dark moments in his life, and he overcame uh, foster care and uh, the fact that the the facility that housed him as a child tweeted that he would come there and hang out with kids and be a voice for them. He became kind of the star of Twitter last week because people were posting that he was, he would, he would show up at places for homeless men Mm. and give them pep talks. He would, despite all his where issues, he was raised, he would no, go but there. other yeah. places, yeah. no homeless, yes, no, not only the right. the, the orphanage, but place, places for homeless men. He showed up and he was yeah. giving them pep talks. Um, he was the life of airports, Albanian weddings. Uh, there, there was a, a guy that posted. He was going for a science conference, and DMX came up to him and wanted to know about the poster that he had for his science conference. Really? And there's a photo of him standing there with, and there was a there's a video of him in Albania. He was doing a show in Albania, and he crashed a wedding in Albania. Were they taught in the dance? Yeah, with them in Albania. And they, yeah. That um, video is great. A woman we wrote that. about him on the plane with her, and that her daughter, he, and yeah, he invited her to a show, and she thought, yeah, sure, and, and no, uh, but he, he came to the show. She 
and her daughter got special treatment at the show. Then a guy wrote underneath that that he ran into him in L.A. and that uh, he went go-karting with DMX. Go-karting? And, that, and then they went to Jerry's Deli. You Jerry's know, like, Deli? There were, apparently there was no moment that DMX was not living his life after... A, a childhood of abuse oh. and uh, being in and out of jail yeah. and prison when he was not trying to explore the world. I want to go go-karting and go to the de- Jerry's Deli. I mean, his his life is just... He, he crashed weddings. Not, that wasn't on, the only wedding online that was, that was talked about. No, he's a beautiful uh, human being. A lot of people found uh, their pain expressed through him and... And him, and not just that, but his, the realness of his story, everything was about him. Well, was... he he was, you know, yeah. There, there's much to discuss that's that's negative, but but here's a a, a clip of him reading his poetry at Deaf Poetry oh, yeah. Jam. And it's not the same. Doesn't have to do with talent. It's about playing the game. The industry, real niggas is dying to get in. The industry, just to find they don't fit in. The industry ain't what it used to be. The industry's trying to control the way you MC. They want you to dress like this and talk like that. But I'm going to dress like this and talk with the bat. The industry, got your word meaning nothing. The industry, fuck what you heard because he's bluffing. The industry, money. Bitches hate, but I dare you to try to take a fucking thing off my plate. The industry like, wait! But in the streets, we like, get them. <laughs> 17 up in that thing. Get them sleeping, hit them. The industry, if you ain't got a strong mind, the industry will break you down as a matter of time. The industry, vultures with nothing to feast on. See me? I'm getting my beast on. The industry, stay in the dirt. Play in the dirt, test the wrong one in the industry, and you will get hurt. I'm not an industry artist. I'm an artist in the industry. So I do what the fuck I want, because nobody can finish me. The industry wanted, dead or alive, new artists to sell their souls and where they survive. The industry don't give a fuck about you, but the industry couldn't make a dime without you. Right, he Earl Simmons was fifty years old. Um, this is one of his songs that I think is really beautiful. It's called "Who We Be."
Max is swirling in the heavens. You've been the smartest crowd in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world. Jennifer is the smartest woman in the world. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a coupon bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Barry bonds. I wish you nothing but peace. For wheels.